Welcome to another episode of Civil Conversations with Matt Aguido. We focused on the black woman, beauty, image, and colorism. This conversation was absolutely amazing. I sat down with four amazing African-American women, Chrissy York, Amber Kreft, Lisa Brown, and Ebony Sparks. They shared their stories, their perspectives, they gave very helpful insight around the struggles of being an African-American woman in today's time, and also in their past and their history. If you're not black and you're listening to this episode, please learn more about what's going on within the black community through the lens of four African-American women. This conversation was very, very helpful, and I hope you learned some things. This is part one. Thank you. Tonight, we have another special live conversation about black women with black women, beauty, image, and colorism. I'm a... always excited about all of these conversations. I'm especially excited about this one, primarily because it is solely focused on these sisters of ours, not necessarily only these four, um, but also who they represent. Uh, Though they are speaking purely for themselves, I believe that in some form or fashion, they're going to speak and touch on something that somebody who listens to this as a Black woman is going to be able to relate to. And I think it's important for us to be able to give them the platform to be able to speak Uh, candidly about their own experiences in life um, and around this area of beauty, image, and colorism. And so I first off, I want to thank Amber, Chrissy, Lisa, and Ebony for taking the time out tonight to be in some form or fashion vulnerable um, with with us and each other um, about this topic. I'm looking forward to seeing the comments that are coming in and the questions that may come across. But uh, most importantly, I'm looking forward to us like basically having an open conversation that moves all of us forward. And for those who are not black that are checking out this broadcast, I think it's important for you to uh, listen and learn, um, try to understand, uh, and then take this, what you hear tonight, uh, maybe into the relationships you have with fellow black women, not necessarily to go in and say, hey, I watched the black show, but more from the perspective of um, a better understanding of the woman that you may be working with or that you may be relating to or going to church with doing your hair, uh, working out with, et cetera. There's a lot that uh, our black women carry uh, and they've been carrying it for a long time here in the US. And so I think it's very important for us to have the conversation. Um, as normal, you know, I like to start these conversations off by having more like a personal uh, perspective on it. So I'm gonna have each one of the women go around and share their own personal story, introducing themselves and then share their own personal story in regards to this topic. And then um, when we'll just continue the conversation from there. So I'm just gonna check one thing real quick online and then we're gonna go from there. All right, I think we are good to go. So ladies, y'all ready? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, um, so first off, um, uh, you know, I, um, I did this little video last night um, where I, I, and I don't have it next to me right now, where I, I had uh, taken a brown bag, right? And I put it up next to my skin and basically said, like, I would have failed a brown bag test. And what's interesting about the brown bag test uh, from some of the research I've done and I've known about it for a long time is that it's, it's highly uh, <laughs> a coloristic uh, statement and move, right? You, and for those who are just now listening in on this, the brown bag test, they could have been clubs, groups, parties, um, people's houses, uh, it didn't matter what it was. They basically would take a brown paper bag 
and put your skin up against the brown paper bag. And if you were darker than the, the, the brown paper bag, you weren't allowed in, um, which is crazy. So I would have never gotten into any <laughs> of the events. And uh, a couple of the women here wouldn't have gotten in either. Uh, Amber may have uh, without a problem. And that's part of, that's part of the, the, the mystery and the, and the frustration, I guess you could say, of being black um, in America. And that history is not that long ago. Right? You're talking just over 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago, that that was actually happening. So I'm going to start off with some stories here. So I'm going to actually give the floor to Amber for a few minutes to start off first, introduce yourself and share with us a little bit of your history in regards to beauty, image and colorism. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Amber. Um, I'm 24 years old. Um, I'm going to start by saying I am Black. Um, I say that because I get the question often, are you Black? Are you mixed? What are you? Um, my hair is naturally curly, um, a, loose, a looser curl pattern. So um, people are often just like, what is she? Like, I really don't know. Um, so both of my parents are Black. My mom is Black and my dad is Black. Um, I grew up in Charlotte. I've lived here all my life. Um, I lived in Matthews till I was five, and then I moved to North Charlotte area after that. So living in Matthews, I was the only black girl usually in my classes. Uh, moving to Charlotte, I was in predominantly black spaces. So I've been in both worlds where I've been the black girl and I've been with my people. And so, yeah, that's just like the beginning of of like kind of who I am. Um, so growing up, I've mainly struggled with um, people asking me, am I black? And I think um, it wouldn't seem like that's harmful, um, but to me it has been um, because it made me uh, feel like I can't look this way um, and just be black. Like if I look like this, I have to be something more than just black. And so some of my experiences have been um, one of my best friends when I was younger, she was actually mixed and her mom was white and her dad was black. And when we would go out in public, they would think that her mom was my mom because I was a little bit lighter than her, although I wasn't actually the mixed girl she was. And so um, that's kind of when I started to realize like, oh, maybe my complexion is making me like look or seem like a different way to people. Um, and then when I was in high school, um, I did hang out around white people sometimes and I was at one of my white friends houses and I asked him like, could you bring home a black girl? And um, he was like, no, like I couldn't, but you would be fine. And that was just another example of me just being like me, like I'm not different. Um, I'm as black as any other person who is black. And so I think when I was younger, I didn't really think much of it. I just kind of was like, yeah, people think I'm mixed, but I'm not. And, you know, and I, as I got older, um, I started to realize that I was treated a little bit different. Um, I have friends, black women friends of all complexions. And um, I noticed that my experiences are different. Um, even when it comes to my experience with cops and things like that, I've been pulled over maybe three times. I've only got a ticket once. Um, and that's because I was actually speeding. Um, but I've never had like an encounter um, where I felt nervous or scared or like I was gonna be treated differently because of how I looked. Um, and then on the reverse side of what I've, I've experienced um, in the white community, in the black community, um, I have friends often who call me the white girl or the black girl that's white. Um, and I don't know if you guys know about the white girl that was in 
NAACP and posed as a black woman, but she was actually white. Her name is Rachel. And I have been like called that because I'm very like big on advocacy. I'm very big on like, you know, the black advocating for the black community, um, but people don't recognize me as black. So it's kind of like, like, I'm not like, I don't know, it seems like I'm outcasted in the black community, but I'm also not white, I'm not mixed, so I don't have the experience of a mixed black person, mm. a mixed person in America. So it's like, I think I live in a, um, a spectrum that is kind of overlooked because it's just like, well, you look like you're mixed, but you're actually not. And so, yeah. So, uh, so can, I, can I ask you a question real quick mm -hmm. on that? Like, so um, thanks for that yeah. period, right? So people call you Rachel, like just because, just because, like you're almost like you're faking it kind of thing. Yeah, then, like you're you're white, like you're not actually black. <laughs> like you think you're black, but you're not actually black. And I'm like, no, like I, I'm black. Like I usually have to show pictures of my parents, like, and I usually have to, I almost have to prove that I'm black. Um, yeah. And so I think I've lived trying to like, like. That's what I'm saying. I take offense when people are like, well, what race are you? What race are you? And as I think from them, they may think it's a compliment or they may think that I'm going to feel better about myself. But it really makes me feel like I like, why can't I just be black? Like, why are you questioning, um, you know, what I look like or where I come from or what I am? And so, yeah, it's just a weird tension. But no, I that's I mean, that's. That's, I mean, we're going to probably dig, dig way more into that, especially once we get into deeper into the conversation after you go around on everybody's uh, description. I, I think that's part of the part of the challenge slash problem that we have with this balance between white and black America, we could say, or basically, you know, black and non non black America of just like labeling um, people just based on what you just see and you just boom, automatically throw them in that box. And so you're that's that's how you are. And it almost sounds like it's it's not race specific, right? I mean, you, you just said it, it's on both sides. You're thrown in the box and you just, mm -hmm. you're like fighting to get out of it um, yeah. and fighting for your own culture. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's difficult. Um, so Ebony, I'll give it to you. A little bit of your background. All right, hi, I'm Ebony. Um, I am originally from Flint, Michigan. So I grew up in a predominantly um, African-American city. So all of, you know, my experiences as a child uh, were shaped by the African-American community. Um, it wasn't very diverse at all. So not diverse in culture-wise uh, culture or country of origin, just, you know, kind of regular run-of-the-mill Black folks in America. Um, and so early on, I did learn that, you know, there was this hierarchy when it came to your complexion. Um, I was never, you know, educated about it or told about it, but, you know, over time I realized that it was there. Um, both of my parents are dark skinned, so my mom named me Ebony because she knew I would most likely be dark. Um, Ebony means dark wood. Um, so, you know, being dark skinned has kind of been a, a big part of my identity since birth. Um, I think that my experiences, um, would be normal within, you know, the, the black community. Um, but of course, all of our experiences are nuanced. Um, I will say that colorism, I don't feel like it played, like it really affected my self-esteem. I'm in a negative way, but I do feel like it was an insecurity that I picked up on just due to knowing that the lighter 
someone was the you know more european uh features and phenotypes that they had the the better they were the prettier they were the more likely they were on a pedestal um so you know i just kind of accepted it and i accepted my skin tone maybe more as a burden like something that i would never be proud of but at the same time it wouldn't you know stop me or didn't have me down uh, which is a big contrast <laughs> to as to how i feel today um so a few years ago i really started to study colorism um and that's when i learned that it was much more than just a feeling that i had as a child um that there are actually a lot of negative statistics and that being of darker skin for a lot of women um, is a bit more traumatizing than it was for me. Um, it is uh, correlated with a lot of negative statistics. So I feel, you know, really passionate about kind of educating people about it now because it really does have, you know, far reaching effects as far as, you know, darker skin females quality of life. So that's pretty much where I am. Hopefully what I can bring to the conversation. Um, I am also a therapist by profession. So just kind of studying this and looking at the different ways that we have, you know, internalized colorism, um, in some ways overcompensated, depending on which end of the spectrum that we're on. Um, so that those are just some of my interests. So. Do, you, do, you, do you find that because of your, um, thanks for that too. Do you find it because of your, um, your experiences being not so not so traumatic, but then also being dark skinned and then you also willing to like fight for it. Does that make it easier, you think, for, for you versus somebody who's gone through the traumatic aspect of it? You know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand that maybe, maybe because I don't have, you know, I don't feel like I'm carrying such a heavy personal burden. You know, I don't feel like it's re-traumatizing me to talk about it. Um, so yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. And one thing I was going to add to what you said, just to kind of add to my point, when you were talking about the paper bag test, that test was also used to get into universities. So that's the kind of thing where I say, you know, it's more than just a party or more just being popular. You actually could be denied an education due to it. So those are some of the things that really, you know, kind of highlight the importance of colorism in our community. Yeah, thanks for adding that. Go ahead, Amber. No. I was just gonna say, I don't know if you mentioned it, but it like started in slavery um, when the ones who were lighter, one were usually the house slaves and just were had easier access to things even during those times. So it's crazy. It's a long history. So it's a long history of it. And I and and it's it's so embedded in the culture. And so when people wonder, you know, why we get up and and I've been guilty of it, we turn around and look at a light-skinned person or light-skinned brother, like just to throw a guy in there and like, yo. I mean, he's like that because he's light-skinned, right? It, and it's just like, you know, we do that and it's like, man, like, why do we do that type of stuff? Or you'd be like, oh, and it's just not, it's not, it's not right. Uh, we get it, but it's something, we, it causes a lot of insecurities. I mean, the Rachel thing that you brought up earlier is huge. Like, I, I've never would have ever compared you to, to that, to, to her. Um, that, I mean, I, thanks for sharing that. Thanks, Ebony. Um, I want to go around to Lisa. Um, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about your story. So um, I identify with some of the things that Ebony said. Actually, I was born in the 60s, the early 60s. And so you have to understand, I remember Black is Beautiful. I've lived through Black power movements. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I know about people buying bleaching cream and wanting to bleach their skin. 
and um, I so I've lived through different eras of black beauty and black image. You know, I know um, I know about the first afros, <laughs> the first natural hair movement. So um, I was born. I was raised in a very small town in the south. So um, you can think about my experience and all the economic power. I would say the power in this town was with Caucasian and white people. So guess what the images of beauty were, you know? So I grew up thinking pretty, you know, and all the things you associate with pretty like homecoming queens and uh, prom queens and those types of things were white females. Now, once the schools were segregated, I think you did have so many people had to be uh, African-Americans had to be cheerleaders or had to be on a homecoming court. And generally now we're getting into um, though features. So even though African-Americans were then like cheerleaders or homecoming court, I still think they had to have certain features as far as thin noses, thin lips, um, straighter hair, all those things were what were associated with pretty. Mm. So, you know, and and let's face it, pretty had power, you know, back there, there was a certain power with pretty. So I did not, so I can say through high school, through my teens, I didn't see myself as pretty, but um, thankfully that, that, that actually worked out for me <laughs> because um, I was a very um, academic person, very intelligent and um, think the eighties when I was in high school, um, I started coding. So rather than trying to get my affirmation from being a pretty girl, I, you know, I let that go. <laughs> and I got my affirmation from technology coding. These things called uh, computers and mainframes that <laughs> were um, on the scene. So I dove into that and that's where I got my affirmation. But in doing that, it allowed me to um, expand my view of beauty and pretty because it uh, gave me an avenue to college. I got scholarships, so that allowed me to go to a college where I met lots of more African-American people. I had uh, more African-American friends, and my vision of what African-American woman looked like, you know, was expanded. And then even with college, I got out of college. Um, I got a, you know, a very good job, um, a nice paying job in a large corporation uh, in a large city. And so with that, that allowed me to, first of all, travel. Um, I moved to Philly and Philly, my circle was pretty much, you know, African-American. And I saw all types of beauty and different images and African-Americans affirming themselves in all different ways. So that uh, got me out of that. You have to look this, you know, this Lena Horn look mm -hmm. to be pretty. And um, so I want to say in my 20s, when I started expanding is when I became comfortable with me and my looks. And it's just because I just hung around people that were there. Was, was that, I'm um, sorry to cut you off because I still want to hear more of that. Because of, because of when you were born, when you say your 20s, what, 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 when was that? Was that the 80s time frame? Like uh, Yeah, in the 80s. I went to college in 81, 81. Okay, yeah. in 81. Did the culture, like, was it, obviously you found a lot of your affirmation from getting into technology and you and I can relate there because I'm, I'm obviously in technology, but from the perspective of like, 
um, that time, like, did the culture start to change in a way um, that also at the I same time think, helped you? Especially because, you know, hip hop. So, but I think being in a small town, you don't always have access <laughs> to culture shifts. So you have to get yourself to somewhere where those culture shifts are more dominant, more accepted. I mean, even in today, uh, I, you know, I don't know, but I heard, you know, in small towns, in certain corners, I hear people, you know, shun uh, natural hair, women with natural hair. They shun um, men, you know, men now, if you see young men in college, they're wearing their hair, they're some very creative styles. And, you know, I hear people shunning that in some of the small circles that I came from. So even though African-American culture can shift and expand, and I mean, one of the most powerful ladies in the world, an African, you know, it's an African-American lady, um, it does not mean that that is adapted everywhere. So yeah. I went to places or I, I like to run in circles where that's adapted and affirmed, you know, not looked at as negative. Okay. No, that's that's great. Um, now look, there's what? Go ahead. Negative. Negative. Some people okay. see, you know, if you see, yeah, that you know, uh, uh, an African American woman with natural hair, uh, with big features, they can still see that as negative. I mean, you know, in some circles, they're just not seeing that as beautiful. Wow. Yeah. And, and thanks for sharing your your story. And we're going to come back to all of that. I want to give Chrissy an opportunity now to to go into her story and her, her history and her perspective. And, um, and then we'll jump into some, uh, some other topics. Go ahead, Chrissy, floor is yours. Well, I'm 38 years old. I live in Richmond, Virginia. I am a mom to a three-year-old little girl named Michelle. And um, I am currently working on a book. Um, talking about me being the first stylist black stylists in three different white salons. Um, I feel like um, with the issue of colorism and beauty, all of those things are heavy when it comes to Black women, and they have been pushed aside and no one has been talking about them. Um, I think with Lisa talking about, you know, not being able to find her beauty until she was in college, that's crazy to me. Um, but it makes perfect sense that that is what was happening because we don't do that for our little girls. We don't say, hey, you're pretty. You have beautiful eyes, you have beautiful features, you have beautiful this. And um, the first time that I experienced colorism, I was actually four and it was a light skinned black man that did that. And he said to me, you gonna have it easy cause you're red. So with Amber talking about having all of her um, people asking her, you must be a biracial or you must have what, you know, having all these, but having to prove that she is and being called, like, that's horrible. Um, and then with Ebony, you know, being dark skinned and not being allowed to go into certain arenas of feeling uncomfortable. Um, I think that definitely was in the salons that I was in. I don't believe for a second that anybody darker than me 
would have been able to go there first and have a job um, for as long as I was with each one of these salons. And um, yeah, I think it's crazy. No, um, thanks for sharing that. And when, when you were growing up, did you find that that colorism continued to follow you through like middle school and high school or did it just, was that just kind of a thing you accepted and then boom, you know? So when I was 10 years old, I went to live with my aunt in Florida um, who didn't have any children. My mother had two sisters and neither one of them had children. And I was the first grandchild. So I was full riding. And um, this particular aunt that I lived with in Florida, when I went to school there, I was the only black child in my class. And I was also maybe one of 15 black kids in the whole school. Um, so I understood how important it was to look for me, look for black people, look for um, people that looked like me or was darker um, and to just be okay with being in a place where I am the only black person mm -hmm. so that when other black people come after me, it's okay. It's, it's not this elephant in the room. It's mm -hmm. whatever. Mm. Normal, normal. Right. Normal, it's normal. It's normal. And so this, this bridges into, and then, and then, um, I, I think all of you kind of touched this a little bit. This, um, this bridges into like profession, right? And careers and in that space. And I really want to go there. And whoever wants to tackle this first, I mean, Chrissy, you're already going there. If whoever wants to tackle this first, please jump up and, and say, however, you know, say whatever. But like in, in the professional world, um, I've, I find it interesting, you know, like you brought up a great point, Chrissy. I've, I don't have your perspective, which is why I wanted these different perspectives, right? I would have, I would have never known that a darker skinned woman would have had a more difficult time getting into being in a salon space than a lighter skinned woman, like with other, like in a white salon. I, I, I would have never, I don't, that just doesn't even almost, it doesn't compute. So I'm ignorant to that, right? So I appreciate you sharing that. How do you think, or anybody can say, how do you, but you can start off, how do you think it would have been perceived if a darker skinned person tried or or you know what i mean like what would what do you think would have happened well um so the first salon that i actually applied to wanted me they i had been doing different competitions and my name had been around but nobody had talked about that i was black in these salons and they were looking for an apprentice and i called and set up an interview and when i got there she said the position had been filled I caught on very quickly that what was happening. In the same shopping center, somebody else was looking for, it was another salon in the same shopping center, they were looking for an apprentice. And I literally left that interview, went over to that salon and was like, hey, this is who I am, this is what I can do, would you like to have an apprentice? And I did that because I knew that those two owners or those managers or those people, they were gonna talk, right? And that's exactly what happened. And then I built a clientele and I, so I don't think that, I don't think that it's fair. I don't think that it was right, but somebody had to go first. Mm -hmm. And then in each situation that I have been in, I have encouraged others to come along, but someone was like, it's ugly there. It's not nice. It's not, people are going to say stuff. People are going to 
is going to be abusive. And they knew it and they understand they didn't want to do it. And that was part of it. Some people were just not applying because they knew the situation was going to be nasty. And I had to respect that. And in the same token, I had to say, well, I'm going to stay here because someone should be here. One of us should be, it's everybody deserves to be able to do this where they want to do this. Mm. So do, do any of you all feel like, and please any of the other ladies step up on this one, feel like the, I kind of know the answer, but like carrying the weight for black people in spaces where you're the minority as a black woman, like do y'all feel that in your, in your careers specifically or at work and everything? I, I certainly, Again, I, I not only feel that I kind of have embraced it um, mm -hmm. at my, you know, job because I know. So I um, always um, have a have sympathy towards you know uh, women who are African American when they're hired, and I just know that the struggles that we have. So I kind of take that on, not so much as you know, in a trailblazing way, like Chrissy said. But Morris, you know, you have a, a group, you have a community here, you have some support here um, because you, you'll need it. I, I know the experience. So, yeah. And the professions are different. Like in her case, she literally will probably be the only one or two yeah, in a salon. Yeah. Where in your case, you'll have more. So you almost have to like create a like a, a inner, like an inner yeah. group or something. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Got you. Anybody else? Oh, I don't feel like there it's a weight or a burden but it, uh it, I, again it's an embrace it's a welcoming it's a if there's anything you need um feel free to reach out to me um, mm. this would be more my my take on it um at this point because and, and the reason i said people did that for me um so um yeah i, I do that for other people because um as i say i i uh I've worked in a lot of spaces in technology where there are no there are no African American women, and that's still somewhat true uh, today. Not to the degree that it was in the '80s. So mm -hmm. certainly, um, I do it as just uh, welcoming and yeah, embracing and yeah, and, mm. yeah, being a support. So you go ahead, Amber. Yeah, I have a. I, so I'm 24, so I haven't been in the workforce for that long. Um, really, I've only had one job that I'm currently at. Um, but I have a black manager, a black woman. Um, and I think to what you guys are saying, I do feel like embraced and welcomed and like, like I want to take you under my wing as a young black woman. Um, I was going to say something else, but I forgot what it was. But yeah, I'll no, just put that there. <laughs> no, you're fine. Do you feel, do you feel especially being the younger one do you feel like okay i like my future is i can feel safer in the future of my career you know like with with the rest of the ladies you know they're a little bit older right and they've had longer careers um some trailblazing like chrissy uh stay you know you know what i mean like do you feel better about it like does it give you hope like okay i'm gonna be fine as a young black woman getting into the into my pro profession you know because you want to get into law so yeah you know. i I like I specifically seek to like find black women who are in like whatever field I'm trying to go in but I do sometimes feel like because black women have worked very hard to get where they are especially like older generation I think sometimes 
it is hard. Um, I think from my end, like sometimes they're very sacred over that, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. sometimes it's, it can come off as like, I worked hard to get here. You need to work just as hard, which is good. But I think sometimes, um, I don't know, like for, I don't know. It pushes us to like my generation. We're, we're seen as like, we don't work as hard pretty much. So I'm saying, I think because the older generation, they've gone through a lot more to get where they are. And it seems like we kind of have more things handed to us. Um, I think that they're harder on us a little bit. If that well, I mean, I think it's important that you just shared that, not because, you know, I don't think you're pointing any fingers or whatever. I think that's yeah. a perspective, right? You're 24 years old. So, um, so if I was going to do the math, you were born in 95. Mm. Yeah. Like most, the rest of us know what we're doing in 95. Right. So like, <laughs> so, um, but I think it's important because you, you want to be that one that stands out because the millennial, the millennial age does get a bad rap. If I think that's what you fall under. Yeah, um, and and so you're right. A lot of women, let's start with Lisa and then Chrissy and Ebony, you know, they have gone through a lot to get to where they are. I, obviously, I don't think it's these women, but the fact that you notice that it feels like, almost like, I, I, I worked hard for this, you need to work just as hard. Mm -hmm. You feel that from them. Like, you feel it from the older. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's, it's, it's good, though. It is encouraging. Right. Um, well, I think sometimes it's a threatening thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it, it, that the older women are, especially, like I've experienced, especially in the beauty industry, it's a threatening thing for the older women to know that this, you know, new young person is coming. Mm -hmm. Early on in the beauty industry, I experienced this. So I knew how not to act mm -hmm. when they were coming because they're supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You're not going to be here forever. So why not train them to do it correctly and, and, mm -hmm. and, or better and hope that they are better than you? I think that's been a huge thing. And even in, in, within families, not just um, um, in careers or in, I think right. there's been this thing with, with mothers and there sometimes is a, a tug of war with mothers and daughters where they don't want the daughter to, to do better or to go on and to, because that would mean that they didn't do, or they don't think that they, they believe that they did as well as, didn't do as well as they could. Mm. Or it looks as though they didn't do as well as they could when they when the daughter comes after them and does better. But I think you're supposed to let it. It's a reflection on you if they don't do better. Mm. Like I would tell my the, the younger stylist that came after me, I'm expecting you to do better than me. Mm. You've been trained with better tools. We were doing finger waves. You know what I mean? Like y'all, <laughs> you got better stuff to work with. You better <laughs> come in here. Like my thing was, you better come in here and do what you're supposed to do and act accordingly. That was, that was my take on it. And it may have come off as I was mean and I was wrong, but I was, or not wrong, not wrong, but mean and abrasive. But I had very high expectations hmm. for the women that follow after me. I have very high expectations for my daughter. You will act accordingly. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, Matt, um, I, I'd like to jump in there if I could. For me, y'all don't need to ask me to jump in. Jump in. <laughs> yeah, That's so I, was, I, I can speak. I can speak from two perspectives. So one perspective for that for me is just as um, if you come, you know, in the technology field, I view you as a coworker. So mm -hmm. I was just saying in that sense, no, I don't want to put any burden on you or 
or um, I just want to give you all the tools you need to succeed. And if I can be of assistance, that's great. I want, you know, anything. Now there are other, now you're talking about people that work for me. Now that's where I can set, you know, I would set expectations and um, lay out what the expectations are. But for people that just are, say, another technology uh, person, you know, you don't work for me, but I, you're at the company, you work, you know, I, that's where I'll just be um, a friend to you, mm -hmm. you know, help you with what you need. And in no way, um, as far as, and again, that, and that's a diversity thing. We're talk, not talking about an equity thing when we want to talk about generations and millennials. Um, but again, I don't want to put any pressure on anyone. You need to just come in and I hope, you know, be successful right. is what I want you to be. Um, I embrace the younger um, generation because um, I learn. Um, I, and I, again, I believe in that space. You can learn from so many different people and I, I find it fascinating. So, um, I like young people to teach me things, <laughs> yeah. you know, things. Yeah. Uh, your platforms, your technology platforms, your, um, is there a better or smarter way to do this? Is there, um, you know, what, how can we do this? Well, think about it because you know, you're, you're, you're the next, you're the future. Mm -hmm. And um, I know there's one entrepreneur and I'm, I'm hoping to be an entrepreneur soon myself. And yeah, that's, that's what that's I plan crazy. to, yeah, that's what I plan to tap into. Um, because if you're, you know, if I'm building a company, I got to build it for the future, not the past. Mm -hmm. So right. I have a lot in that, and that. And by that same token, I found young people come to me and ask me, uh, younger people, if you will, I say young people, younger people ask me my perspective ask me, what do I think? And I try to be very respectful of the fact that they are adults. You know, I'm not, I don't want to treat anybody like a child or like they're my child or like they owe me something because they don't. But um, I think the thing to do there is treat them with respect and I can give you my perspective and I can, you know, and I'll try to do everything I can to give you the right answer for your success. So um, I, I certainly uh, don't want anyone, any younger um, African-American female to feel like she's indebted or she's got to go on and blaze her own path and be successful and do her thing and shake it up, you know, her way. So to bridge to something, unless Ebony, you had a thought on this area, I don't want to, to bridge to something um, about this, this whole thing and careers and stuff like that and, and, and the professional world, like there's this piece on image, right? The image of a black woman. Right. I'm just going to put it out there. And the first one to say something, go ahead, please. It's um, the attitude. Hard to talk to. Um, you know, difficult. Um, why she always like that. Right. This is stuff that I, I know I've heard um, either said behind black women's backs and I overheard it or black women have shared it with me. Um, why is she yelling? Why is she talking so loud? So on and so forth, right? Um, you know, there's this image. And also, let's talk about media for a second, too. In media, there's a way that they depict the image of Black women, depending on the shade, right? The darker Black woman may look one way versus the lighter Black woman uh, may look another, right? Depending on what that looks like, you know? Um, what are you guys' thoughts on, on that? And what are your experiences when it comes to how you've been viewed as a black woman, or just in general, what are your thoughts on that? Anybody can pick that one up. I'll go first, and then you guys can chime in. 
Um, I, I certainly know it exists. I certainly know um, people mistake uh, black girl assertiveness for mm -hmm. aggressiveness and vice versa. I, um, I choose to ignore it and use it to my advantage. Because again, I did, you know, coming up have to learn assertiveness versus ag aggressiveness and when what's appropriate, you know, aggressiveness is appropriate sometimes in certain, you know, situations versus assertiveness. And when is that appropriate? But I choose to use that to my advantage. Um, I choose to use that to break down the doors I need to break down to uh, be in conversations and that I shouldn't be in or wouldn't, would not normally be in, I shouldn't be in, would not normally be in and get the answers I need. And again, my affirmation is not coming from other people because if I follow the rules and had to get my affirmation from other people, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't get anything done. Mm. So that's my take on it. It does exist. But I think you have to fine tune your communication skills to meet the job that you're doing and enroll with that. You can't, you know, and um, yeah, and just address it. Yeah. So, so I'm one of those people that my face, if I have thought it, my face has said it before I've been able <laughs> to speak, speak a word. So when dealing with issues or confrontations or something at work, it was very hard for me to control my face sometimes. And sometimes I would say things and they would be like, well, I can't believe you just said that. Well, if I say it this way, does it sound better? And I would reword it and say it differently. And they were like, yes. And I said, all I added was a higher pitched voice. I literally used the same words. So is it me or is it you? Mm. And I didn't, I didn't have a problem with doing that for people because then it made them pay attention. Now you've heard it twice. <laughs> so there's no reason why we have to go through this again or we have to. And then sometimes if I really wanted to get their attention, I would whisper, get really, really close and whisper. And then I know you're paying attention to me. I'll tell you right now, if my wife started whispering to me, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm in trouble. But no, but I, I think you bring up a good point, like having to work. It's almost like you have to continue to adjust yourself just to be heard, right? right. Either up, down, you know, it's like this game. And it's like, you should just be able to say something and be heard once, right? Uh, Ebony, you look like you were about to say, I don't know, your, your face was saying something. I don't know. I'm just, am, I, am I wrong? Well, I don't know. I don't know how, what you thought about. But um, I think as, you know, I think there's some truth, you know, to that stereotype. But I think there's some truth to that for all women. I have seen white women uh, really, really, you know, <laughs> kind of be rude, disrespectful, and some of those negative things that are attributed to us. So I think due to things like media and, you know, image that looks like it's something that we own, but I have definitely seen a lot of women do it. When I see younger Black women behaving like that, those are the ones that I want to talk to. 
because a lot of times they haven't yet figured it out. Like Chrissy was saying, how to, you know, they may see something unfair or see a discriminatory situation and they don't know how to get, like um, Lisa said, use their communication skills, turn that into some form of assertiveness. So it's like you have to learn to do those things, I think, as a black woman, maybe more so than other people. Some other, you know, races, they don't have to ever learn that. They can kind of just, you know, have that attitude or whatnot and it not, you know, have to be corrected. But with us, I think in order for us to advance, we always have to find a way um, to say it how it needs to be said, do it how it needs to be done. That's going to, you know, be non-offensive to anyone in the room. Mm. I struggle with that like I struggle and maybe it is because of my age and like I'm 24 I'm gonna keep saying that (laughs) we think we're invincible I guess I don't know but I think I struggle with the fact that I feel like I have to minimize my assertiveness or I I do have an attitude sometimes um and I, I agree, as you said, I think there's white women who do. I think there's all women who do. But I think black women are are labeled as more aggressive. And when we do it, it's just different. Um, but like even like I talk loud sometimes or I get and I've just grew up in a home where I was talked loud to. So when you when you aren't listening, I'm going to get louder. I'm going to raise my voice so you can hear me. Um, so I, I think I struggle. And again, I've only been in the workplace for a minimal amount of time but I feel like I struggle with having to diminish what I'm feeling or what I'm saying like I struggle with appeasing it seems like it's appeasing even though it's not but like I feel like we have to minimize ourselves sometimes to fit into the corporate white America world so I'll just say it code switching basically yeah I, I and again it could be you know I'm still learning that and I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that space and luckily I haven't had anyone try me crazy really but um I don't know how I would react in the moment all right I mean we got the we got the older women here like Amber's saying she's struggling what do, you, what do y'all think like what advice I have for her so, on this one so I feel like with code switching, you do what you have to do until you get in the position that you don't have to do it anymore. Mm. And the ultimate goal that you have to get to where you need to be, it's a means to an end. Mm. And eventually you won't have to do those things. Mm. And then when you see it happening to somebody else, you can say, hey, that's not cool. Mm. And then the more that happens, it just kind of fades away a little bit. But the ultimate goal is to get to where you're trying. But it's it's almost like by any means necessary. I hate to say that like that because it sounds very aggressive. But when you have a goal to get somewhere and to do I something. I don't think it sounds aggressive. But it is a tool in your arsenal mm-hmm. that you have to pull out. Just like speaking correctly, wearing the proper clothes um doing what you need to do to get to where you want to be and then it becomes irrelevant sometimes and then you can just be a little bit more free and then when you like i said when you see it with someone else then you can say relax a little bit mm-hmm. you're amongst friends <laughs> mm. well, i think too that everybody does that so we have to do it in our own way but everybody who's trying to get somewhere or has something that they want to be, they do that. 
So mm -hmm. just realize that it's, it's, I guess I would say a little bit of maturity maybe that you learn, okay, if this is my goal, this is what I need to do to get there. But you will see other people um, of all races doing different things <laughs> to get to where they're trying to be. It's not just us, it's just we have different you know, different ways that we have to kind of accommodate those situations. Yeah, I think um, the, the passion that we have um, as Black people um, is, can be misunderstood a lot too. Like, I feel like, you know, we, I mean, we, I mean, like we, I mean, for the most part, most of us like to have fun or like we're, if we're angry, we're gonna express it, we're gonna do it. Like, that's just kind of us. And I think that like, when we get into those spaces where it's um culturally just not the norm of a level of you know not to bring church into it right but you know some people shout in yeah. some churches and some people don't yeah, right i went you know to I mean? um you know uh, a uh you know I, i'm a seminary graduate you know i hold a master's of divinity and we're not going down a church path but i did spend um a, quite a bit of time taking classes with conservative um Christians and study and asking them, there's a certain, is it the word I'm looking for, piety, mm. that is viewed as, I don't know, it's viewed as positive, whereas, whereas our culture is a more expressive culture, a more creative culture, and we don't view that that way. And so that's why you will go to, and I don't know if you guys have been to many Caucasian funerals, um, you will not see um, a lot of emotion. Emotion is looked at as weak weakness. Um, you know, we we I took homiletics class with lots of white individuals and like saying amen and and showing expression while someone's talking about God is looked at as like that's not that's negative. And mm. so we talked about, you know, I've talked about, I've talked about it with, you know, my, that, that was a few years ago when I earned that degree, but um, really they, they just haven't been exposed to that. So showing emotion. Um, and I think uh, our culture, and I, I want to be careful here and I can be wrong about this. Um, I do think we're more of an expressive culture. We're more of a vocal culture where that is more of a written culture. Um, I think, we're more of a creative culture. Um, when you look at, and something I've just gotten into, um, it's a mess, it's African dance. But um, I'm doing that because it, it just, it's just an expression. You use your whole body to express. You use your whole, you know, your hands, your, everything to express. And I think that is lacking in some other cultures. I think um, we talk about soul. Um, I've been into this soul thing and I'll do a post on that about soul because African, we were told we didn't have souls. I don't know if you guys know about that. It goes way back, and that's a whole other thing. But I think in order to overcompensate for that, you know, now we do everything with soul, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just think that's our culture, and it's misunderstood, and it's some in some ways it's looked at as, or it's used. I don't know if it's misunderstood. A lot of things are used to flip the script and viewed as unintelligent, or you, you know, and it's it is what could be happening there. Mm -hmm. You know. No, that's that's great. That's great. Any any response to that, guys? No, ladies. No. So, um, I I think I think everything you said, everything you guys all said, makes a lot of sense. And I f I find that a lot of that is what we bring into the different spaces that we're in. May it be professional, may it be church, may it be um, our friend spaces. 
uh, or in, in, in predominantly white spaces like where you're at, Chrissy, or where you were, you know, when you were working in a salon, like this stuff we bring. And I think part of what makes the code switching difficult or because everybody does it, like Ebony said, it's to turn those things off. It's almost like, like you have to turn off the passion, turn off the soul to, to fit into the spot, to get to the, I guess, the, the means, right? The means to the end, right? To get to the end, the end goal. Um, just to kind of switch a little bit on, on beauty, you know, part of the reason why I like this shirt, you know, black women are, are beautiful. Uh, I think like, um, I got this shirt, you know, a couple months ago from a friend of mine and, uh, and I got my wife a matching shirt that black men are beautiful. Um, you know, beauty is, is, is an interesting topic, right? Because it's, it's like, what is beauty, right? And so I, I find that beauty is not necessarily just only at the skin deep level, but also about the person. But the society has a way that we view, view beauty and have viewed beauty. I mean, you're talking, you can do a web search maybe five years ago, it's gotten better, but up to five years ago, you do a web search for a beautiful woman and you had to go two or three pages deep before you got a black woman, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it was like, I, I remember, like, somebody told me that, like, uh, one of my coworkers told me, she was a black lady in IT, which you're right, Lisa, they're rare. She she came in, I was like, oh, my God, like, you're here, you know, but anyway, <laughs> she said, go ahead and she said, web search, web search, um, beautiful women and see what happens. I mean, I was three pages deep. I could not believe it. And I was like, Whoa. so I wanted to toss that out there when it comes to beauty. Um, what do you guys think about the way beauty is handled amongst black women? Um, about black women, sorry, black, about black women and amongst black women. Hmm. Chrissy is like, I don't know. Because I don't know where to start with it. It's, it's a lot. It's hurtful. It's hurtful yeah. that you didn't see images that um, were similar um, to what you had in your family or around you. Um, right. It's also thankfully changing. Um, mm -hmm. Black women are coming more into the forefront and saying, here I am, and here I am naturally. I am not going to conform to European standards, and it's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I can remember being on a photo shoot, um, and they had me tease the model who was Caucasian, had me tease it to look like an Afro. And I was like, you couldn't find a Black girl? Like, and the look on the, the editor's face when I said that, I was like, you, what you're asking for is an Afro texture. And if you had just found, instead of me having to tease this white woman's hair within an inch of its life, because when she brushes it out, it's going to look like, <laughs> my God. And I don't mean like, like bad. I mean, to brush her hair after I had put all that teasing in, was going to damage her hair. And there was no way around it. And I asked the model, are you okay with this? Because I don't think anyone has told you what I have to do to get you to look like this. Oh yeah, I'm so excited, do it. Like, okay, here we go. But the look on the woman's face when I had said, why didn't you just find someone that naturally looked like this? I'll never forget it. Um, and I think, like I said, I think it's changing. Um, I think people are understanding and demanding that it change and it it be better. Um, even with just so you're you're saying with the Google search, with 
um, that brown skin girl song that came out that Beyonce and her daughter put out, we didn't even have that. Wow, what a great half of the conversation. So much information, so much experience. This is highly nuanced. Man, take a break, get you some tea, get you something to drink, whatever you need to do, and then come on back for part two of this amazing conversation.